regardless of what your situation is, where you come from, or where you've been through, that you can make something of yourself. The reason why I'm writing a book, I'm not writing a book just in the sense of the EMS and make money and all this stuff like that or whatever. I'm just writing it to inspire other people on their journey of life to get to where their destination is, you know, like not to give up, not to ever settle and never surrender, basically. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Join us today from Franklin, Tennessee, my friend and yours, Chris Murphy. Hey, Chris. What's going on, everybody? Man, Chris, we've been out of the saddle for a little while, so it's nice to kind of suit up and get back in the game. Yeah, I know. It's, it has been a, a week or two, or, or as I like to say in my neck of the woods, it's been a minute. Does a week in your book like mean three or four weeks? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of on like a, uh, like a dog's schedule, so you know, like seven years <laughs> equals one year kind of deal. Okay, so for those listening, this is the first podcast recording we've had in several weeks, and there's a reason for that, and Chris and I will follow up on another podcast to talk more about that, but we talked about getting in the game, and today we're very fortunate to have someone who's literally getting in games as a wide receiver. We have DJ Lester. He is a wide receiver for the IFL Cedar Rapids Titans, and his goal is to inspire youth to reach for their dreams, and he also aspires to one day play in the NFL, and, and it's kind of a funny story the way that DJ and I met, but first of all, we'll just welcome you. DJ, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure and honor MC, to be on the show. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of fun for us, too, because we, we have a lot of different guests on this show. And it's interesting because no one has quite fit your uh, background. So this is going to be a, a fun opportunity to kind of catch up and, and learn from you. Now, you and I met, DJ, and, and correct me if I'm telling this story wrong, but you and I met randomly at Houston Airport like several years ago. Yes, it was back and- when I was playing with the Utah, uh, the Utah Blaze, which was part of the AFL. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy how we met. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're with your teammates. You're in like a food court area. And I was playing with my new iPhone at the time. And I was just going around like doing like street interviews like you'd see on you know, like uh, Jay Leno or something like that. Yeah. And, and I just happened to catch you and, and you and I chatted for a moment. I shared that on my new podcast at the time, which now has been going over you know, a few years. And that's how we first connected, but we've been able to keep in touch. So I think it's kind of neat that a random hello in an airport has now turned into, you know, I would say a, a reasonable friendship and a good connection. Yeah, online. It's, cool. it's, yeah, it's crazy how you meet people like that, you know, and you know, so like I said, like me, like football wise, it's kind of like took me a lot of places and I've kind of met like a lot of people, you know, and like I'm intrigued by people. So like when we met, it just kind of like touched me, you know, we kind of like spoke a little bit briefly and then like our friendship just kind of like kicked off from there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I I love that. And I appreciate you being willing to be that kind of person that's open to to meeting new people and just being cool online. And you're definitely living up to all of that. Uh, So, DJ, on this show, we kind of like we have a little fun in the beginning. Then we kind of get into some more serious stuff. So uh, we're going to start with a a little segment called Blank versus Blank. And Chris is going to give you two options and then you just pick one and maybe a short reason why. So, Chris, if you kick us off. Absolutely. DJ, Instagram versus Snapchat. (laughs) <laughs> instagram versus snapchat uh huh, i have to say probably well it just depends on what you choose but personally i love sharing instagram i love instagram because uh, you can reach out to the world and inspire people like that you know so i'll probably say i'll choose instagram well done one more and you're one more he's for- popular on instagram by the way, Chris. <laughs> i try to be he, i try it gets it gets more likes than than i'm gonna mention <laughs> Well, to, to be a popular personality on Instagram, how often do you post? Like I said, me being the athlete that I am, 
I reach out to as many people as I can, you know, like from my upbringing and stuff like that. So, like, I play football, so I get a lot of pictures. I get a lot of fans and stuff like that. So whenever I get pictures like that, I just try to, like, you know and share with the world and inspire people, you know, just to show them that regardless of what you come from, you know what I'm saying, you can make something of yourself and you can inspire others, too, you know what I'm saying, because we need more people in the world to show that caring side, you know, instead of like all the violence and stuff that's going on in the world, mm. you know, people need that sense of enlightenment a little bit, you know, like if you give somebody a word of encouragement in the morning, like that changes their whole day and their whole demeanor, you know, and that's what like I try to strive to, to post as much as I can throughout the day or throughout the week. That's awesome. All right. So DJ, we're going to roll into finish this sentence. I'm going to give you the beginning of a sentence if you'd be willing to complete it. And the first sentence is, if you ever find yourself in the wrong story, <laughs> you should just leave. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us why you should just leave. Because personally, you don't want to, you know what I'm saying, keep yourself down, you know, and that's just like, that's in everything in life. You know, if you find something that's not working for you, you should find something new. If you just keep tormenting yourself and bring yourself down, like just like a job, like, I mean, if you're working a job, and you're not happy, you're going to continuously not do like be the best person you're going to be at that job. Like, you know, you're going to keep, oh my God, I have to go to work today. Oh, I don't want to be at work today. Just keep complaining and stuff like that. But if you find something that you love to do, then it's going to make you be the best version of you in that job, in that field, or whatever it may be, you know. So you're going to keep striving to be better and better and better and keep growing and stuff like that. And building on that, you said, you know, working on yourself. So does that, a similar thing, to invest in yourself means to blank? To to invest in yourself is to better better your future, better your life. Because I know that one of the things that, I wanted to ask that because I know that you started off originally in college as a DB, a defensive back, but then yes. transitioned into a wide receiver. What was that like and the transition that you had to do investing in yourself and working on new skills in order to thrive as a wide receiver versus a defensive back? Well, for me personally, coming out of high school, I was uh, originally like I played everything. You know, I was a kicker, the punter. I played everything. <laughs> I was a running back. You know, say when they need me a quarterback, I played quarterback. You know, say I, wow. I did it all. So. So I, I would initially Sounds like my high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I initially went to college, you know what I'm saying, as a uh, as a DB, you know. So my true freshman year in college, I played DB, you know, I was learning that skill and which I kind of felt like I still should have stayed there or whatever. But my sophomore year, you know, they needed help or wide receiver and I kind of missed like catching the ball and running the ball and stuff like that. So they converted me to offense. Like, yeah, we kind of need your skill set at offense with size and speed and ability and everything. So I was like, okay, cool. So when I switched over, like, you know, it took a lot of hard work, you know what I'm saying, to get my skills where I need to be at. It took a lot of dedication. Like I said, like naturally, like I'm a I'm a defensive player. Like I love hitting because I used to have, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, anger problems. So like people, like my coach high school told me, he said, look, football is the only sport that you can hit somebody legally with everything you have. Like, you know what I mean? I took that seriously. And that's how I used to let my anger out, you know, playing football as a DB. So like when they switched me over, like my mindset had to shift to, okay, well, look, I got to run routes to get open. I got to do this. So like basically like more offense, you have to think a lot more. So I had to learn the aspect of the game like that. So it took a lot for me to learn, you know what I'm saying? And like, I just stayed with it, just kept on chipping day by day. If I messed up or something, I just kept on asking questions and getting better. And, and that's how you know, that transition happened. Love that. Hey, DJ, I want to talk about, this is called name drop and, and feel free to let it rip here. I know that you've played with some good players in your career. So if you're willing to share, who are some players that have transitioned on to the big show, the NFL, anybody that we might know? I have, uh, I played with uh, Tashawn Gibson. He played with the Cleveland Browns, number 39, but he plays for the, I think, the Jacksonville Jaguars now. He was a great DB, like, you know what I mean? Like, we used to go at it and practice in University of Wyoming together, you know, and I told him, like, you know what I'm saying, before you, because he was kind of the same predicament when our coach 
Uh, Coach of Wyoming was kind of like holding back, basically. But he he got up there to the big show. There's a receiver named Robert Huron. He played with Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, but he's currently with the Oakland Raiders. So there's a couple of players and stuff like that that I've played with in college, you know what I'm saying, or in junior college that play with, you know what I'm saying, in, in the NFL. Even I have a, another lineman. His name is Jordan Devy. He plays with the Patriots currently right now. He's on the roster. And then another D lineman. Uh, I don't know. I think you guys know Starlet Tuele. He mm-hmm. plays for the Carolina Panthers. So I played him with you uh, at Snow College in JUCO. Then he went to University of Utah and he's in the big now. So like that's still like keeping my dreams alive. That if you know what I'm saying, the people that I've played with alongside of them, like if they can get it up there, then you know what I'm saying, I know it's possible for me to get up there. Even if like I said, even if I get up there and get a workout and they let me go, say we can't, you know what I'm saying, keep it for a long time, I'll be satisfied because I made it up there that far. That's right. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool, man. For the listeners who don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself, about that transition into college, but also just as a player in the league that you've you've been in. Give them a, a little bit of a background about how you've gotten to where you are today. As far as athletic-wise or like lifestyle-wise? Actually, both. I would love to hear. I mean, I guess that anybody could look you up on Wikipedia and find out about the teams that you've played for and the, and the years that you've played. It would be great to get a little bit of your football background, but I would love to know also about as a person, how you've developed your skills and your tenacity, and also just what's given you that drive to keep going and keep pursuing that dream over time. Well, as far as my lifestyle, um, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. My biological mother was Nigerian or whatever, you know, so I've spent some time in Nigeria and stuff like that. So I kind of like grew up, you know what I'm saying, in Nigeria, and I came back here when I was like 10 years old. Then I had to deal with like the, the process of going through foster care because my, I call him my sperm donor because I don't respect him being my father, you know, because <laughs> he, he didn't really do much for me, whatever. Mm. He used to abuse me and neglect me as a child. So like I had to deal with foster care, you know what I'm saying, going through home to home and the, everything like that, you know, we have to deal with foster care thinking people going to like you and everything like that, you know. So I dealt with that for the longest. And then I finally found a new family, which was the Lester's, which is my last name currently, you know, like they took me in. So Miss O'Willander, which she was my mom, you know, she kind of took me in. I saw the like the lost boy that I was and kind of transpired, like transpired my lifestyle into like a young gentleman. You know, she taught me everything and like that I know like now, you know, how to go about things and how to go about going after what I want in life, you know. And then um, in like 2003, I was kidnapped and taken to Nigeria and left there with no passport, you know. So like the whole transition to going to the American Embassy and getting back here and like dealing with all stuff like that, like the crazy stuff about that, you know, it kind of like gave me a drive that I didn't want to be like my sperm, like my sperm donor, you know. I mean, wow. when I came back, when I came back that year in 2003, my uh, adopted mother, which in 2003, I found out that my biological mother had passed away because my sperm donor had something to do with, you know what I'm saying, with her passing. And then so, which was kind of like one of the hardest things that I had to deal with endure as a young boy because I was a mama's boy, you know, I grew up like sleeping with my mom. Mm. Falling asleep to a heartbeat and everything like that. And then when I found out that, you know what I'm saying, like my sperm donor has something to do with it, like that kind of devastated me. You know, it kind of changed my whole perspective on life, you know, because my mom taught me everything she could. But the only thing she could teach me is how to live without her, you know. So I came back in 2003 after the whole kidnapping situation or whatever, like have to go into the American embassy and deal with everything, all that. Adopted mother passed away in 2004, which was another like another blow to me, you know. So like that kind of hurt me. So it kind of made me immune to a lot of things, and like I kind of lost emotion from that part, you know. Like because losing her, my biological mom was kind of in, you know, what I'm saying years apart or whatever, just kind of like was devastating to me, you know. So I had to deal with all that stuff, and it just kind of jarred me because when I used to talk to my adopted mom, um, I kind of promised her that you know I'd, I'd live a life to inspire people, you know. 
that I wouldn't let anything hold me back, you know, and like I was against the odds, like since birth, you know, like I wasn't supposed to graduate high school. I graduated high school. I wasn't supposed to graduate college. I graduated college. I was supposed to play for her some sports or do something in my life. I'm doing that now currently, you know. So like my, my adopted mom kind of aided in that process. She used to like, look, like regardless of what your situation is, like, you know what I mean? You can always make something to make light of your situation. You know, you got to use your dark past and propel yourself to the light. And which like her words used to just kind of encourage me on a daily basis. And them being gone now, like that's like they've always been with me. I know if you guys probably check out my Facebook, my background picture is just a picture of both of them. You know, like I have both of them, like they're both in their wedding dresses. And then I got my uh, Cedar Rapids Titans picture in the middle, which mm. I kind of constantly look at that. You know what I'm saying? That kind of keeps me going, keeps me pushing and whatnot. And then that kind of just transpires my uh, football career, basically. You know, like I originally like went to JUCO for two years and I went to University of Wyoming for two years. When I got to University of Wyoming, I didn't, I didn't really play much, whatever, whatnot. For whatever reason, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? I felt like I could have played. I had a couple other schools I could have went to, like University of Utah, Utah State, Rutgers, Middleton, all that stuff like that. But I chose Wyoming because they said it was going to run for four wide, five wide, all this stuff like that. But I didn't play. So, like, that kind of, like, fueled my fire, basically, to, like, you know what I'm saying, keep striving and, and try to get to where I need to get to because I promised them all I'd make it to the league and a buyer Jaguar, you know. So, uh, yeah, I ended up, you know what I'm saying, like, started my stint in 2012 with the Utah Blaze, and that's how me and Jerry met. Like, I was constantly going to workouts because I really didn't have film, you know, so I was constantly going to workouts, you know, like, bringing me in two-day waivers, four-day waivers, and I'm like, okay, well, because, like, I wasn't established in the league. They didn't know me that well, you know, so and I didn't really have film, so, like, they are bringing me for workouts, and they're like, okay, well, we can't sign you yet. Oh, we'll bring me for another workout. We can't sign you yet. So, I was like, kept on trying and trying and trying, you know. And eventually, uh, Coach Matthew Sock, he was just like, man, I see potential in you. Like, you know what I mean? So he gave me my first contract, whatever, with the IFL. I mean, with the AFL, the Utah Blaze. So after a couple of games, uh, not even, like, after camp, I got released. And then, uh, so, like, technically, I couldn't do much or whatever. Like, I felt down. I was depressed. Like, I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I just failed, like, you know what I'm saying, my mom. Because I told her that, you know what I'm saying, I'll make it professionally and stuff like that. So I kind of just used that as a few. I started training. And then uh, one of the people I worked with, his name is Scott Porter. He helped me get to the, the IFL team called the Green Bay Blizzard, you know. And I went up there for the last two games of the season. The first game I played with them, like, I led the receivers in reception yards and touchdowns. You know what I mean? So I was like, whoa, like, where this where this kid come from? Like, you know what I mean? Where did he nice. learn how to play like that? So that was, like, my first stint with the, uh, the Green Bay Blizzard or whatever. So I played the last two games. I balled out or whatever. And then towards the end of the season of the AFL, the Utah Blaze brought me back in. It was like, yeah, like you proved yourself and you're worth, you know, so they gave me a chance. So I came back with the Utah Blaze that same year for the last four games of the season. My first game back with the Utah Blaze, my first play from scrimmage was a corner out for a touchdown. And Coach Sock was like, oh, my God, like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have kept you up here, you know, and they did like a whole interview and everything, like an article. Coach Ron James was like, yeah, like I work hard and he's a guy to have me back here, you know, stuff like that or whatever. So I finished the season with them and then that's when they folded. So like, that's how I met Jared in Houston. We was going to Philadelphia to play. So I met him through that way or whatever. So like I said, I started my stint like that. And once I kind of got myself established in the league, that kind of just kept me going. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, just another step closer to my dreams. Like, you know what I mean? Because ultimately the AFL, the IFL, CFL, those are all like basically the D league or the NFL, basically, you know, like players that come from the NFL, they either come to one of these leagues and keep getting their film and stay in shape and stuff like that because you never know what's going to happen, you know. 
So wow. Okay. So DJ, you just hit on a lot of really interesting stuff, and I, I'm sitting here like trying to make notes because I, I want to follow up on a few of these things. So one thing uh, for people who are connected with you and their friends with you on Facebook, you have a picture from back in June, back at Father's Day, and it, it's uh, your pops. His name's Odie Lester Jr. Is that the guy that you nicknamed your sperm donor? Is no, that... no, 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 no. That's my adoptive dad. That's that's your adoptive. Yeah, dad. that's my adoptive dad. That's the man who stepped up, and you know, because that's my adopted family, whatnot. You know, that's the family that came in since I was in foster care. Because, like I said, I went through different homes. Like it's funny you say that, because like I even have a chapter in my book called Grilled Cheese Sandwiches, and that chapter was like dedicated to the fact that like I used to go to homes. And uh, I was in this home particularly. Uh, I really didn't eat much. Like, you know what I mean? All I ate was grilled cheese sandwiches. And um, <laughs> so, like, you know, since the father of the home, like, used to complain. Like, I used to be like, look, I'm hungry. And he'd be like, you yell at me. Like, why are you always hungry all the time? I'm like, I'm a grown boy. Like, you know what I mean? I was like about yep. 14 years old. Like, I, I need to eat, you know? So I didn't, they didn't feed me that much or whatnot, whatever. And there was a situation that occurred in that home where one of her, their daughters that was in the home, you know, she, scribbled like used permanent marker and wrote on the washroom wall i'm what you i'm hungry you know and she meant to write i'm angry but she put i'm hungry so i came home from school and put my backpack in the room and i came out and the father of the home just got in my face and started chewing me out like oh yeah like, oh, man. yeah you're an ungrateful child all this stuff you wrote on my wall just like starts going off on me and i'm like yo what are you yelling at me for like you know what i mean and me like when i get start getting angry i start tearing up like you know what i mean and that's like all that ptsd from my childhood or whatever you know so I started tearing up and like, he just grilling me, grilling me. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, he was like, oh yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. You always hungry. So you're going to tell me you didn't write this on my wall and all this stuff just starts going off on me. I'm like, yo, I don't know what you're talking about. So his wife came down. I was like, what you were causing the records for? Why are you yelling at this little boy? You know? And so I kind of was like, yo, like it wasn't even me. So she started talking to me. She put me in the room, started talking to me. said, did you write that? I was like, no, I don't even know what he's talking about. So they took me in the washroom and I looked on the wall. I was like, that's not in my handwriting. I didn't even write that at all, you know. So their daughter comes home and uh, she sat there like, while well, she watches. Oh, what's going on? What's work? What's the ruckus going on in the home, you know? So uh, they told her, was like, yeah, I wrote on the wall that I'm hungry, whatever. Well, they're trying to investigate that. And she's like, oh, my bad. I wrote that. I wrote, I mean, I was angry. And so like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like. Way to go. Yeah, so the whole situation <laughs> was like that. But that's kind of like with that situation, like that occurred in foster care, whatever, you know. So like a bunch of stuff like that, you know, just kind of was going on and it just kind of, it was tough. DJ, I want to touch on the anger stuff for a moment because I, I mean, you talked about being kidnapped in a completely different country. I mean, I can't even imagine. Oh, and then the foster care stuff, losing your mom. I can understand when you say you dealt with anger. I, I'm sitting here thinking, dude, I get angry when someone cuts me off in traffic, but this is a whole new ball game. So, so I want to talk about that for a moment for someone who's listening that's struggling with anger. What, what do you say to a person who wants to overcome that? Personally, like the way, well, my, basically I'll say my, my coping skill and my remedy that I use as a childhood to let go of my anger was just play basketball. Like, you know what I'm saying? I just use that to fuel my fire, but a person that's dealing with anger, like the way I went about it was instead of like getting mad first, I found things to occupy myself, you know? So I wouldn't get angry. Like if somebody like nowadays, like I'm more mellow than I was as a kid, you know, like somebody could come up to you, like come up to me and be like, oh yeah, F you, like you ain't nothing over there. I'd be like, okay, cool. Like it's your world. You got it. <laughs> and I'll just laugh it off and just walk away. Cause it makes me like that bigger person. Cause it makes them that much more madder than I am, you know, <laughs> if I don't entertain it. Cause if I were to get mad at them, then it just makes them win basically. Oh yeah. I got a reaction out of you. But if I just sit there and I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, you got it. It's your world. 
You know, and they keep going and going, okay, yeah, you got it. Have a great day. You know, I'll just walk away. They're going to get mad, like, because I'm not giving them a reaction, giving them the time of day or the attention because they're irrelevant at that particular moment, you know. On the other side, I could just get pissed off and do something that, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to regret, like, beat them up or something, but then what's they're going to get me? You know, they're going to call the cops and get handcuffed and my dream is lost, basically, you know. But I, yeah. I learned to kind of just, like, take the backseat of everything, just like, okay, cool, have a great day, you know. Keep young, okay, I'll walk away. You know what I mean? It's hard. But that's the best thing I would say. Just walk away, go take a deep breath, and just relax. Hey, DJ, I don't mean to detour the conversation here, but I, I, I do want to ask you about this. Chris and I, we're obviously you know, excited to have you on the show. We're well-meaning fathers. You know, I would consider that we're reasonable citizens, decent people, or you know, hoping to be that way with all the anger and the frustration with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the things that you've seen, what advice do you have for guys who are, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but, you know, not sure how to, I guess, how to respond or, or what to say or what to do? But what advice would you have for Chris and I, who, who's some, someone who wants to be community oriented, someone who wants to be, you know, looking out for others? Do you have any opinions or advice based on your experience with that? I gotta say, my, my, my opinion with that is, why kill hate with hate? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's only going to make things worse, you know? Yeah, things happen, things occur that we don't like, you know? But sometimes, like, you have to just look at the bigger picture. Instead of, like, forcing hate on hate and, you know what I'm saying, doing all this stuff like this is going to make everything worse, why not just try to, you know what I'm saying, like, find, figure out other ways, you know what I'm saying, to go about the situation, you know? Because my mom was, a, both my mothers were wise women, you know? They told me that don't kill hate with hate, you know, to be a peaceful person, regardless of what people do to you, you know what I'm saying, you should find ways to go about the situation instead of like retaliating with anger, you know, because if you retaliate with anger, just like if I would come to you disrespectfully, if you retaliate with anger, that's going to only make me more angry. Now you're going to get angry at me and then we're going to just clash heads and keep, you know, saying, doing stuff we're not going to like. What's that solution? What's that going to do? Nothing at all. It's going to just make me hate you. And then Yes, and my family eventually going to start hating you. And then, like, that's more people just coming back to the circle of hate, you know what I mean? And then, like, that's how, like, gangs and all that stuff start. You know what I'm saying? People just start going at each other's heads. Like, why would you do that, you know? Just make the world, like, a worse place instead of being, okay, cool. Like, things happen. We got to figure out solutions to the problem instead of just getting angry. But people don't understand that. People just, uh, their first reaction is, oh, okay, well, they did this, so let's go do this, just because they did this, you know? Instead of just, like, sitting back, like, okay, look, we need to figure out other alternatives to solving the problem. Right. And knowing that with, you know, I played football for nine or ten years growing up, and it was one of those things where a foundational piece of my upbringing. Uh, <laughs> he, he played yeah. Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> it was more than Nintendo. And oh, man. <laughs> no, man. All the years that I played, I played wide receiver, and uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the crack back block on oh, the, uh, yes. the deep, Very deep, deep. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not too proud of that because I just caught them blindsided, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to inflict that pain, but at the end of it, it's just like, man, I can't believe I did that to that dude. <laughs> but, but I mean, sometimes sometimes they deserve it, though, because, you know, DBs, they always, like, you know, try to catch you slipping somehow. Even if you don't catch mm-hmm. the ball, they always try to hit you late or something like that. So sometimes it's necessary to let them know where your presence is felt, you know. Yeah, so I like that. <laughs> I like that. And you know what? That, that kind of leads to what I was thinking as well. You know, having come from the background that you did, especially with who you describe as your sperm donor and then then your foster dad uh, and then your your mom's, that, that influenced there. But 
you know, the, the male influence in your life with coaches and other players and your, your biological dad and your foster dad, what do you find over your formative years and then all of your time playing football has really defined what makes a good man either on or off the field? And have you, do you see that organized sports or football in general has been crucial into forming you into the man that you are now? I'd have to agree. Like, I feel like football kind of shaved, shaped me into be the man I am today, you know, because I originally like I didn't even football wasn't even my number one sport. My high school coach, coach, you know, coach Sam Russell, whatever he said, uh, he, he told me, he's like, DJ, I want you to come play football. I mean, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a basketball player. Mm. And uh, he was like the one kind of like taught me like how to like channel my anger. Basically, kinda, he was like, that's how everything started for me, basically, you know, he was just like, look. I understand you got a lot of anger, but football is the only sport you can let out your anger, aggression, and stuff like that. So we used to just do this drill where you both lay on your backs and you get up, one person runs the ball, the other person makes a tackle, right? So the first time I ever did it, like I was on my back, I got up and, you know what I'm saying, the running back or wherever the runner was, and kind of like, you know what I'm saying, I tackled him still, but I tackled him by the ankles, you know, and he kind of like ran me over, so I kind of turned to the side. And coach is like, oh, you're so pissed off in the world, but why don't you let your anger and aggression out right now? You know what I mean? Why don't you just envision that as being somebody you, you despise so much, you know? And I kind of thought to myself, okay, like, this might be my biological father and my sperm donor because he hasn't done anything in my whole life and but being negative and, you know, be a bad influence in my life, you know? Mm. And so the first time, like, well, the second time we did it, like, I literally just let everything out, you know what I'm saying? Like, that whole, I channeled all my anger out. I let everything out in the tackle. Like, the running back came, I literally picked him up, and I drove him back probably five yards. And everybody, like, all my football teammates just got, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Just <laughs> started running around, like, dab me up. Like, oh, let's go. My coach got hyped. He's like, look, that's how you go about it, you know. But as far as answering the question about, you know what I'm saying, father figures and stuff like that, I have to say a father figure is somebody that can rear a child. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person that gives birth to the child, but a person that can aid, mold them, and channel that and teach that uh, young boy how to be a, a man, you know, because he taught me how to be a gentleman. He taught me how to get my priorities straight. He taught me how to be, you know what I'm saying, respectful and honorable and, you know what I'm saying, all the things like that, you know. So he kind of brought me into football and football taught me all those things and it took me to college, get my college paid for, you know. And being part of a team, a collective team, we teach you a lot of things, you know. It teaches you how to, how to go through about getting up through adversity. It teaches you about communication. It teaches you about hard work. It teaches you about a lot. So many things that, you know what I'm saying, football has taught me that I've taken away from the game, you know, and I'm so appreciative of that. And I appreciate my coach for actually, like, stepping in and, and seeing a young lost boy that just needed a little bit of guidance, you know, because he got in me, gave me a job. And just like started working with me, like, you know what I mean? Like whenever I, I mess up in school or something like that, but look, instead of like always just yelling at me all the time, because you know what I'm saying? Like most child, like children like me, like come through upbringing. If you just keep yelling at us, like my mom says, like, okay, you need to stop yelling at me, you know? Then I'm going to start getting angry because you're yelling at me. But he learned how to talk to me respectfully. Like, look, that's not right. Like, you know what I mean? You got to stop doing that, you know? And then like when I start doing things like that, he gave me positive reinforcement. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. good job. You know what I mean? Like, I. Cause like I said, my grades used to be bad too as well. Like I used to have get D's and F, and I wasn't living uh, living up to my full potential or whatnot, you know. And my that was my seventh grade year. Yeah, I was getting D's and F. I didn't really care about anything, but he kind of molded me and stuff like that. And I graduated high school with a three point two GPA. Wow. So <laughs> so That's going from yeah, so going from D's and F's to him just sitting there, kind of like you know, what I'm saying aiding me to to be the man I am today. And I appreciate that. Even my soccer coach's wife, you know, she kind of like. When I used to play soccer, like, I used to have anger, too. Like, I used to just run the ball down and kick the mess out of the ball, you know. 
And uh, she kind of like used to come to practice and stuff like that and bring me one of the little smiley, squishy balls. She'd be like, smile, smile. Like, you know what I mean? I'd be like, no. She'd be like, just smile, smile, you know? So, like, she'd bring me, like, little smiley stuff like that. And you need to smile today. You got a gorgeous smile. You need to smile today. So, like, you know, some people like that were detrimental to my success and to me, you know what I'm saying, getting to where I'm at. And they taught me a lot. And the game of football, sports, basically sports in general, have taught me so much that I've taken away and molded and shaped me to the person I am. Wow. DJ, I, I got to admit, though, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Jared, but like, I'm glad that your coach set you off on that new path with telling you to put that anger out and look at that running back as your enemy, so to speak. I would have hated that coach if I was the running back and I knew that you're going to get up and do that to me, man. Yeah, it's funny. Even like my uh, like the because my story, too, was crazy. And then the second time I have uh, another coach, his name is Coach Parker. We did another drill. I played middle linebacker. And so like the running back came through the hole. And uh, he was, like, so excited because, like, I went through the whole, like, after that that little drill or whatever, you know what I'm saying, like, getting up or whatnot, we did, like, a little running drill or whatever. Um, the running back was supposed to cut through the hole. So, like, we were blocking. I was playing middle linebacker. And after, like, he kind of taught me that lesson or whatever, and I came through the hole. Like, the running back came through the hole, and I just read the run right, you know, and he came through, and I just smacked him dead on. I hit him so hard that, like, he fell back. And my coach got so hyped, so crazy that he just came up and just started smacking me. And to this day, he has a scar on uh, in between his elbow and stuff like that. He so he tells me every day, like, man, like at the time, I didn't appreciate it because it was a scar that you gave me with your helmet. But hey, he said, to this day, I cherish it the most because like you're one of my favorite kids, like the turn of your life around, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, DJ, we mentioned this earlier. Up to this point of your career, you've uh, had success in being a professional athlete, but you haven't quite reached that goal yet of playing in the NFL. And so I guess a two-part question is, has that been difficult for you? And then how do you maintain focus on that goal when sometimes it seems like it might not be within your reach? Like I said, with, with it not being within my reach, it's still like I, I constantly just like look for guidance from both my mothers in heaven because I know they're always watching over me all the time, you know, and that's what keeps me going on a daily basis, you know, because at the end of the day, I could have when I find out both my I find out my biologic mother had passed away because of my sperm donor, you know, I literally felt like I was depressed, like I was at all time low. I felt like killing myself. I felt like just ended it all, you know, um, I just like, what am I going to do now? You know what I'm saying? Because my mom was like my backbone. She was my heart. Like, you know, what I mean, everything, you know. And then when I lost my adoptive mom, you know what I'm saying, in 2004, like, that was just, like, the blow that kind of, like, set me off. I was just like, yeah, it, there's, like, no purpose for me left in life, you know. But I just constantly remember the talks we had, you know, like, everything, like, sharing with them that I'll be, will do whatever I got to do to fulfill my promises and stuff like that, which I, I've broken so many barriers. I fulfilled so many pr- promises already of graduating high school, graduating college, you know, and I feel like. I told him that I'll make it to the NFL, even if it's just for like you know, say working minicamp or something like that. I'll be fulfilled because I made it there, you know. So that's what keeps me going and stuff like that, because I promised them that, and I want to keep my word that you know, what I'm saying I'll still get there, you know. But regardless of it being out of uh, reach or whatnot, you know, I just keep going. I never, like, I'm never gonna give up until there's like not, not I can't go anymore, basically, you know. Even like the the hardest part about the whole journey has been. Like I said, I went to Snow College. Uh, I played DB my true freshman year and stuff like that, which I didn't have that film. And I played my sophomore year. Well, I registered and I played my sophomore year. So I had one year of film and I got a scholarship to all these, you know what I'm saying, great. I got a scholarship to University of Wyoming, which I had offers from other schools and stuff like that or whatever. So basically off of one year of film, I got to a D1 scholarship to a, a Division One school. 
And from there, like, I didn't play for two years, which was kind of like the hardest things ever, you know, like in two years not playing, where's college, uh, NFL scouts and stuff like that look for that film, you know? So that kind of like took my, set my career back a little bit, you know? So when I started playing arena-wise, I started trying to like get film, you know what I mean? Trying to like show them that I can play this game that everybody so loves in America, you know? Started getting my film, started getting film here and there. Because like I've been, since I started my career, I've been, bouncing back and forth teams and stuff like that, which has kind of been hard, you know what I mean? Cause I want to be stationary somewhere for a whole year, a whole season, you know, and play. Sure. But like every year has always been kind of hard. Cause I'll play here for a year. Then that team will fold, you know? So I got to move to a whole nother city and a whole nother surroundings, another atmosphere, a whole different coaching staff, which they got their own players that they've had from previous years and stuff like that. So I basically got to like re, I don't even know the word. Start yeah, over. Re, yeah. Restart basically over, kind of re-show them what I can do basically all the time, you know? But now that I've established myself in this league these past couple of years and I like, put up some great numbers, like I feel like probably these next couple of years are, are going to be detrimental for me to get up there, you know, because like now like, people are starting to realize, OK, I could play this game. Because like even like this year, like when I left Tri-Cities to go to Cedar Rapids, like I had a bunch of coaches calling me like, you know, what I mean, like, back then I didn't have that coaches wouldn't even call me. I had to be the one to reach out to him about, yo, coach, like. Are you guys looking for receivers? Like, you know what I mean? Can I come in and show you what I can do? You know what I mean? Like little stuff like that. But now it's like coaches right. would call me because I established myself in the league as a dominant force as a receiver, you know, that I can play the game still, you know, and still play a high caliber. So like now that that's accomplished, like, you know what I mean? That's just, I feel like that's another, another aid in the process to get to where I need to get to, you know? So these probably, these next couple of years are probably going to be crucial because I know this next season, like this off season, I'm going to train like crazy. And I got to have a killer season next year. And then hopefully, you know what I'm saying, something transpires from there. Wow. Well, I know that you're in the process with all of the work that you're doing with football. And you're also in the process of writing a book. Would you tell us about that and what's inspiring you to write it? Yes, very much so. Like I said, I, I technically in high school, when that whole kidnapping situation occurred, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got a standing ovation when I came back to school, whatever, to high school. Like, the whole school mm. came out and stood out by the flag. And, you know what I'm saying, when I came out, like, they started clapping because he knew like everybody like you know what I'm saying I was like a people's person. Everybody loved me. Like I played sports and everything like that. All the teachers loved me because I was always kind of people. I was smiling and stuff like that. Whatever. So everybody kind of knew a little bit of my story or whatnot. And they knew about my ordeal about getting kidnapped to Nigeria and left there with no passport and stuff like that. So when I came back, they kinda, you know what I'm saying, gave me a standard innovation and stuff like that. And they wrote like a big article, you know what I'm saying, just talking about like where I was headed and stuff like that. So like since that year, like I started kind of writing like, cause I don't, it's hard for me to sleep at nighttime ever since my, both my mothers passed away. You know what I mean? So I sit up at nighttime, my mind always races all the time. So I kind of just started writing, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of the things I've been through, like, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Cause I, I spoken to a couple of adults and stuff like that. It was like, wow, like you have a story to share and a story to tell, you know, like most adults have yet to kind of experience what you went through as a kid and you're not even 30 years old yet. Just say, yeah, it is what it is. So I kind of just started writing. Okay. Well, maybe, you know what I'm saying? I should think about writing a book. And everybody was like, kind of like, talk to me, man, you should write a book, you know, inspire people. I was just like, yeah, huh. You know, at first, you know, I'm sitting back in high school, but I never really had time in high school because I played like every single sport. Like, it was like from basketball to football, football to baseball, baseball to track, track, you know what I'm saying, college Christie. So it was like transition like that. So when I got out of high school and went to college, like, I just started thinking more in depth, you know, that, man, maybe I should just share my story. Cause like I've met some people that kind of shared their story as well too. And I could kind of relate to a little bit and I shared a little bit of like, wow, like you weren't really went through that. And I was just like, you didn't know that? Like your life wasn't that bad. It was like, nah, like we had the good. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess, you know? So I just kind of thought to myself, okay, well maybe I should just write a book or try to like write a book in order to like, to help 
others that kind of on the same path as me that go through foster care or being abused and neglected as a child and stuff like that or been through some adversity that they don't know how to respond to it, you know, just to like give them a little sense of inspiration that regardless of what your situation is, where you come from or where you've been through, that you can make something of yourself, you know. So that's more so the reason why I'm writing a book. I'm not writing a book just in the sense of, you know, make money and all this stuff like that or whatever. I'm just writing it to inspire other people on their journey of life to get to where their destination is, you know, like not to give up, not to ever settle and never surrender, basically. Wow. And easier said than done. But DJ, I, I appreciate your example and what great stories. I mean, we could keep this interview going another hour, but uh, we, we're going to wrap it up. We're grateful for you taking time to chat. And we wondered if you had any final thoughts for the listeners. I just wanted to say for the listeners, uh, my book, I'm, I'm in the edit, editing process right now. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is DJ Lester. I play professional indoor football currently. You, you guys can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. It's uh, D underscore Lester one. When my book comes out, I'd love for you guys to just take a, you know what I'm saying, take a peek at it and let me know what you guys think. Like I said, you know, I might keep you guys updated on my page. Um, I got a fan page of football. It's called it's DJ Lester. If you search that on Facebook, you should be able to find that too. And I appreciate all you guys for listening. I appreciate Jared and Chris, you know what I'm saying, for keeping uh, having me on the interview and stuff like that as well too. And thank you guys. God bless. Hey, DJ, we, we'd love to have you back, you back on when the book comes out and, uh, you know, kind of help you get the word out. But we appreciate everything. Thanks again. Uh, thank you guys for sure. Appreciate that. Thanks, DJ. Uh, have a good one. Basically, I'll say my coping skill and my remedy that I use as a childhood to let go of my anger was just play basketball. Like, you know what I'm saying? I just use that to fuel my fire. But a person that's dealing with anger, like the way I went about it was instead of like getting mad first, I found things to occupy myself.